Well, it's a privilege for me to uh, open God's word with you this morning. We're going to be reading this morning from the book of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 58. Uh, If you you don't have a Bible, forgot your Bible, don't own a Bible, there are ushers uh, walking up and down the aisle right now. Just raise your hand up and they can get a Bible into your hands. If you don't own a Bible, uh, please keep this as our gift uh, to you. Bring that home. um, And we would just love for you to have that. Again, the passage we will be reading this morning is Isaiah 58, 2 to 8. Before we dive into the passage, I want to share with you what I believe is the main message of Isaiah 58. I'm going to do a little bit of a a spoiler alert here. Okay, this is it. We can only know God when we are on God's mission. We can only know God when we are on God's mission. Okay, so what is God's mission? God's mission is his glory in all of the world. All right, that's it. We can go home. Shortest message ever, all right? Okay, here's the crazy thing, though, and let's just get this out right now. God does not need you, and he does not need me to accomplish this mission. However, he is calling and setting apart men and women to join him in reflecting his glory in all of creation. In fact, this is what we were created for. We read in Genesis 1.26, you'll see it up on the screen. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You see, it was God's intention from the beginning for us to represent him on earth, to be creative, to bring order, to care for creation and to live in his peace. At the beginning, In the garden, everything was the way that it should be. Adam and Eve literally walked with God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity we have this morning to gather together as your church, to collectively lift high the name of Jesus Christ, to worship you. We thank you so much this morning for what you have done for us. We thank you uh, just recently as as we have remembered how you sent your son to be born in a stable. We thank you for that this, this Christmas as we've reflected on that. And God, now as we reflect on, on who you are and who Jesus is, we just pray that you would reveal through your word what you are calling us to do. We pray that you would show us the mission that you are calling us to this morning. We pray that you would speak to us through your word and that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I just pray that any words that are my own words this morning would fall on deaf ears, Lord, but that your words would just penetrate and pierce our hearts this morning. We pray this all for the glory and honor of your name, Jesus. Amen. The prophet Isaiah lived in an intense time in the history of the Jewish people. In his life, Isaiah's ministry was both to the nation and to the last few kings before the exile. 
If you want to understand the backstory that ends with Jerusalem in ashes, you can read First and Second Kings or First and Second Chronicles, but basically it could be summed up like this. The God who called Abraham and Sarah and gave them a child when it was impossible to have one, God gets the glory, kept Abraham's descendants safe from famine through Joseph in Egypt, also saving the nation of Egypt, God gets the glory. As years pass, Egypt's rulers forget God and his people and what they have done for them, and they begin to oppress them. God calls Moses and miraculously moves his multiplied people out of slavery in Egypt, parting a sea in the process. God gets the glory. He brings them into the the desert where he sustains his people for 40 years, teaching them about his holiness, how to approach him in worship. God gives them the law to protect them and keep them from evil. God gets the glory. God calls Joshua and leads his people out of the desert and into the promised land. He raises up judges, prophets, and kings from amongst them. And with his mighty hand, he gives them every blessing. God raised these people up to show and to bring glory to his name, for them to be an example to the world and to establish God's rule on earth. They were to be holy and set apart. And yet we read, they turned their back on him. Instead of imitating God's goodness, instead of imitating Everything that he did for them, they imitate the nations around them and all of their evil. They went from obeying the voice of God to chasing voiceless idols. They pursued the gods of the nations around them, even sacrificing their children on the altars to foreign gods. As in the beginning and so many other times, God's people got off of God's mission and they were reaping the consequences of this. This is to whom the prophet Isaiah's ministry was. And so while Isaiah's audience was those under siege or threat of siege in Jerusalem, God would also prophesy through Isaiah a word for those long after him, to those who would go into captivity, to those who would eventually be set free, those on the long journey home, those who were faced with the onerous task of rebuilding Jerusalem and the temple. This is where we find ourselves in the text this morning. I'd like to, to read to you Isaiah 58, 2 to 8. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with the wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will, make, will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord. Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? And when you see the naked, to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? 
Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Our first point this morning is when we drift from the, when we drift from the mission of God's glory, we drift from God. That raises the question, why do we drift? Unfortunately, rebellion crept in, and shortly after mankind was created, we were tempted and succumbed to the desire that we could be our own gods, knowing and deciding for ourselves what was good and evil. So instead of listening to the creator of the cosmos, we listened to the created. Thus, sin enters the world through man, and we have been pursuing it, sin, over the mission of God ever since. We read that God then cursed the world, not by creating evil, not by causing evil, but by allowing us to pursue our own desires and passions. Sin, as God said it would before the fall, would always lead to death. God is a holy and just God. We're so thankful this morning that God is also a gracious and merciful God, meaning that he made a way for us he made a way for his justice to be appeased. We see his first act of atonement in Genesis 3, verse 21, when God makes clothes for Adam and Eve from an animal to cover their nakedness. God covers their sin, but something had to die to take their place. In verse 2, you'll remember that God begins this epic first-person monologue, and it's a window into his heart and his desire for his people. Israel's sin was revealed in the chapters preceding 58 and in the first verse of 58, but God acknowledges while they have failed, while they have sinned, they did not fail in their religious piety. God says, they seek me daily. They delight to know my ways. Right? This sounds so good. Right? Daily devotions with Paul Tripp. Check. Played a blessing over all three meals. Check. Listen to my favorite Bible teacher podcast on the way to work. Check. In verse 3, God mimics their prayers, sums up how they are seeing it. And in case there was any question that God did not know all that they were doing, God clears this up. And we can empathize with their prayers through this fast. Sometimes it's easy for us to think, man, if God really just understood where I was at, if God just really got it, then I'm sure he would answer this prayer. Here's the thing. As God says, he gets it. It was his people who did not get it. The good news this morning is that he wants us to get it. He has given us this book so that we can get it. God acknowledges their complaint. He has seen their absence of eating. He has seen their physical posture, the sackcloth and ashes, the, the bowing. But he has seen it for what they are. Nothing more than lip service at best and coercion at worst. We see in verse 4, God's people were looking for a cause and effect relationship with God and their community through fasting for their mission. In a couple of short days, it will be New Year's Eve, that day when we all kind of look back and take stock of what's happened and resolve in different ways of how we want to improve ourselves and be more successful in the coming year. Well, this past year, I was looking up, the number one New Year's resolution was not surprisingly eating better and weight loss. 
In the diet and community, fasting is a bit of a buzzword. They call it intermittent fasting. A popular one right now is called the 16-8. Perhaps you've heard of it. This is where one fasts for 16 hours each day and eats only during the eight-hour period. And there's no shortage of celebrities like the ripped Hugh Jackman toting its amazing uh, results and health benefits. It's no wonder that men and women are clamoring and embracing this fast. If fasting equals visible results, then people are in. We're in. And while diet fasting is not going to simply make your body look like Hugh Jackman's as we know, and like many of the 16-8 fasters will find out this year, there's so much more involved to better physical health than following a ritual. You won't be able to slam Big Macs and ice cream for eight hours and then expect it to magically disappear over the 16. And yet this is exactly what the religious people were doing. They were getting comfortable in their land at the expense of their brothers and sisters through lying and oppression. God's people didn't understand why God seemed so distant. They didn't realize that God's mission was so much more than a religious observance. The only way to get back on track with God is to get back on God's mission. The problem is that despite the warning and promises given them through Isaiah, the reality is that those returning would neglect the rebuilding of the temple and instead focus on their ambitions of rebuilding their own houses. The promises found in Isaiah 40 to 55 would be delayed as God said they would be because the hearts and intentions of his people were not for his mission, but rather their own agendas. We see this account unfolding in the book of Haggai, chapter 1, verses 2 to 6. You'll see it on the screen behind me, and it confirms the why of this struggle, the why of the distance between them and God. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, says the Lord God of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Okay, so quickly, just to bring you up to speed, God has told his people through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 44, verse 28, that after being in slavery for an entire generation, he would raise up a ruler amongst their oppressors who would set them free for the purpose of them again getting back on his mission of his glory through the rebuilding of his temple. And lo and behold, God does what he said he would do. God makes a way again. We read in the book of Ezra 1 verses 2 to 3, thus Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, thus says Cyrus, the king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judea, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. 
He is the God who is in Jerusalem. All right. This is truly extraordinary. The most powerful ruler in the biggest empire in the world sends a seemingly insignificant, defeated remnant of exiles back to their homeland to rebuild its temple. And did I mention that Cyrus foots the bill for the entire thing? God gets the glory. Our God is a big God. His mission is a big mission. The temple is where God's presence dwelt and he made a way for his people to rebuild it. Let's just be clear this morning. God did not need a temple to live in. It was his people who needed God's presence in the temple. Verse 5 of Isaiah 58, 5. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this fast a day acceptable to the Lord? Fasting was a common thing in Old Testament times, both inside and outside of God's covenant people. But when fasting was observed, it was often during times of mourning, at the time of a loss of a loved one. It was a time of grief. In Mosaic law, the law given through Moses, there was only one fast that was commanded, and that was connected to the Day of Atonement. Fasting served as an outward sign that a person who had broken God's law was truly repentant. The word for this fast and fasting that God will talk about in verse 6 is one of self-denial. I love this passage and I love the rhetorical questions that God asks. It's, it reminds me of, of when we hear God speak in the book of Job. But these questions that God asks exposes the people's hypocrisy God's people's hypocrisy as it exposes our hypocrisy. We cannot shroud our selfishness in ceremony. Physical posture before God is important, but only if it is mirroring the posture of our hearts. God cannot and will, be, will not be manipulated. Our fasting is not about getting God's attention, but rather God having ours. Isaiah 58, 6-7. Is this not the fast that I chose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Our second point this morning is God's desire is will alignment. And that brings us to the nuts and bolts of what God's mission is, the inner workings of it. The purpose of a fast that God's desire is actually to a will, align our wills to his. It's when we put to death the desires of our flesh. Think about your car for a moment. If all four tires are not aligned with one another, it makes for a very scary and shaky ride, right? We don't have to be a mechanic to understand how misalignment uh, causes tires to wear out faster. It decreases fuel economy and it creates a higher risk of an accident. Much of the same is true for the person who is unaligned with God's mission. When we come to fasting... If we come here at all, we often bring our own agenda to God. And it was the same for those returning from exile. 
The good news this morning is that, as always, we have this awesome example in Jesus Christ, and Jesus demonstrates perfectly the fast that he is looking for in Matthew chapter 4. Let me summarize it for you like this. Jesus was just baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. Perfect, right? Now his life and ministry is going to be a cakewalk. Wrong. The Holy Spirit leads Jesus to the wilderness to fast. And after fasting 40 days and nights, we read that Jesus was hungry. Shocker, right? And then Satan shows up on the scene and tempts Jesus three times with food, security, and power. And I love how Jesus responds to each one in turn. He denies his flesh bread, choosing to be the bread of life. He denies his flesh freedom from pain so that he could bear ours. He denies his flesh authority, retaining the authority to ransom our souls. Jesus was on God's mission. When we fast, we are choosing the mission of God over the mission of us. Fasting is so much more than just abstaining from food. This is the kind of fasting that leads people, that leads people to leave comfortable lives and take their families to Papua New Guinea for two years. This is the kind of fasting that leads people to take their horse farms and their livelihoods and turn them into outreach centers. This is the kind of fasting that leads people to open up their homes to foster children and adoption. I love in uh, Matthew 25, verses 31 to 40, Jesus gives us this glimpse into a, a global gathering of his people at the time of judgment, a time that is coming. And if you could turn with me in your Bibles right now, keep your, your finger bookmarked in Isaiah 58 still, but turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 25, verses 31 to 40. Because if there is any doubt about verse 7 in Isaiah 58, this will reinforce what should mark the life, our lives, and the church on God's mission. That's Matthew 25, 31 to 40. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all of the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Again, this is a future rendering of the judgment that is going to take place on earth. When the nations and each one of us will stand before him. If our lives were a test to see how much we are living on the mission of God, 
Jesus gives us here the answers to the test. He is like, guys, here are the answers. Just as God did for those returning from exile through his word and the prophet Isaiah. God is so good. This is an open book test. We just have to open the book. I'm a student right now, so that analogy is really working for me. But seriously, God is not setting us up for failure here. He is setting us up for success. Let's talk about legalism for a second. What we are not saying this morning is that if you provide clean drinking water for those in need, you get a gold star. If you give your cast-off designer clothes to the Sally Ann thrift store, you get another gold star. If you invite new people from church over after to your house for, for lunch once a month, you get another gold star. If you visit people in the hospital and prison, you get two gold stars. God does not have some sliding scale or grading system. This is why it's so hard for us to understand grace. Our culture and society says that we need to earn it and work for it. But we read in Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 9, on the screen behind me, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Jesus' words in Matthew 25 are what flow out of a life saved by grace. That is why those who were saved on Judgment Day asked Jesus so perplexedly, when did we do these things? Those things just happened. They just flowed out of who they were in Jesus Christ. Our mission is not merely a social gospel. It is God's glory through Jesus Christ. The rest will follow naturally. And the watermark for our missions is to reflect what God has done. We cannot share the good news with people without sharing in their struggles in life with them. Jesus met the spiritual and physical needs of those he ministered to. That's why I'm excited to share with you this morning from one of our missionaries, Laura Ann Michaelis, and what she is doing in Chad, or rather what God is doing through her in Chad, Africa, as her and her team provide health care as midwives. They are literally saving mothers and babies. I asked her recently what drives her as a missionary, and this was in her words. I am reminded of Peter and John in Acts 4.13, which says, now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Throughout the New Testament, I see time and again when a person that has spent time with Jesus, they can't help but share about his greatness. When God works in our lives on a daily basis, we have to tell others about what he is doing. The response of people that Jesus talked to or healed was always to proclaim his name and what he had done. I don't believe a person has to have the gift of evangelism to have a life that reflects God's glory. People who interact with Christians should say, those people have been with Jesus. I believe that each believer should have a desire to share what God has done in their lives and the gospel with anyone that they know or meet. All throughout the Old Testament, you can read about God's grace poured out to the nations. It is very clear that God's heart is for the nations. He wants them to come to him and to know them. It is also clear that he wants to use his chosen people and his church to be a part of this. And that's why many of us are, are gathered here this morning because we, we believe that. And this morning I would just challenge you or, or encourage you to just think about that, that gift 
that grace that has been extended to you. And if you, if you don't know Jesus this morning and you don't know what he, has, uh, what he has done, the price that he has paid to cover and atone for your sin, I would just encourage you to dwell on that this morning. A lot of the rest of this message is going to be a challenge for those who already are following Christ and what we should be doing as a church. Doing the nuts and bolts of the mission that God is on is not about works. It's not about earning God's favor, blessing, or salvation. Our motivation is to be on the mission that God has called us to, a good God who loves us. Verse 8 in Isaiah 58, 8. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Our third point this morning is our mission is God's glory through Jesus Christ, empowered by the Spirit. Have you ever been camping and, and woken up and watched and felt the warmth as the sun comes up over the lake, as the cold, dark night comes to an end and the day is just beginning. God says this is how he wants to display his glory through his people. And then we have this picture of God, right, going before us, but also behind us like a strong military force. There's a story in the Old Testament of a prophet named Elijah, and there was a king hunting him down, wanting to kill him, and he had a servant with him. And so this army surrounded them. They were in this town, and there was no way out. But Elijah had eyes to see God's glory. His servant did not have those eyes to see this and was terrified. He thought this was the end for him. But Elisha prayed for his servant that he would see what he saw. And when the servant's eyes were opened, he saw the host, the army of heaven surrounding them. The army of heaven so much greater than this little foe that this king had sent out. Would we have eyes to see God's glory and might? Well, we know from the book of Ezra that finally God's people get back on God's mission. They return to God. The temple is rebuilt. The temple, which not only symbolized God's holy presence with his people, it was also a reminder of God's promises, a place where atonement and individual and national sin was completed and forgiven. Well, that building could never contain the presence of God or God's desire for his glory amongst the nations. And half a century later, as we read through the prophet Isaiah, interesting to note that, that Isaiah is quoted by Jesus in the New Testament, second only to the Psalms. Half a century later, Jesus, who fulfills the prophecies, who was from the beginning, remember the let us in Genesis, the son, fully God, fully man, showed us completely God's desire and mission for his people. And for this, he was executed by mankind. The greatest evil that humanity ever committed. But what our enemy intended for harm and for evil, God used for good. Because when this happened, the curtain in the temple, the place deep inside where God's presence rested, was torn in two. This is good news. We'll rewind a little bit. We read in John 2.19 that Jesus, after driving out those who had made the temple a place of business rather than a place of prayer and worship, Jesus challenged them 
the religious people of his day, to destroy the temple, and within three days, he would raise it up. Of course, Jesus was referring to himself, and this is exactly what happened. After raising from the dead, Jesus ascended into heaven, and Jesus gave his church the Holy Spirit. And I wonder this morning if we really understand what happened, if we really understand what that means. A.W. Tozer, you'll see a quote behind me, said it like this in one of his sermons concerning Pentecost and regarding the apostles. The day of Pentecost did not bring these gifts and miracles. They already had them and a lot more. What the Holy Spirit brought on the day of Pentecost was the power and authority, and the focus of that power and authority was the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Laura Ann reminded us of the ordinary ex-fisherman, Peter, who was there on that day, but less than two months earlier had denied Jesus to save his life. Now we see Peter proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ on the streets, despite being arrested, despite being beaten, proclaiming it and praying for more boldness with the church. The Holy Spirit, when it came, equipped the church to proclaim Jesus in the face of persecution. This perhaps is the biggest miracle in the church then and today, and perhaps our sharpest weapon. When the church suffers well, the world cannot help but take notice. I just encourage you later on to read Acts chapter 4 to get that whole story, or talk to Pastor Matt about that and the opportunities that he had. When we are on God's mission, which is his glory, Jesus exalted throughout the world. When we are on this mission, nothing is impossible and nothing will stop it. Do you want to be on it yet? When we finally lay down our selfish desires and get on board with God's mission, everything changes. That's when we will see seas parting. Water in the desert, giants slain, armies and nations subdued, lions' mouths shut, God's freedom from oppression, and the dead brought to life. The church is not an institution, buildings, or offices, but a body of believers that will be used to accomplish great things for the kingdom. This is nothing short of exciting. We will see incredible things. Souls brought from death to life, relationships restored, marriages healed, the hungry fed. This morning, if you're bored in church, Aside from the fact that it's me preaching, I would suggest that you're not actually living your life on the mission that God has called you to. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, we read, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Our mission is focused. We are equipped for this mission. And as a church, this is what we yearn to be. This is what the leadership of this church puts everything through. They put everything through this lens of the Great Commission. So where are the opportunities to see Jesus' name lifted high amongst the nation? Well, let me give you some numbers this morning. Of the seven plus billion people on this planet, a well-researched number of the unreached is over two billion. That means two billion people do not have access to hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. It's also estimated that the church globally is growing at a rate of 2.6%. 
So how are we on mission to the nations? In Canada, that translates to two million unreached people. It's a heart-wrenching number. And unfortunately, that statistic is skewed because while 70% of Canadians would identify with Christianity, only 8% of them would hold to our core doctrines as a church. Another sobering statistic for the church in Canada is the growth rate of the evangelical church is estimated to be 0.8%. Now, if this was an interest rate on a loan, it would be good news, but as an investment, this is a sobering statistic. How are we on God's mission in Canada? Where do we go from here? Some definitions that may be helpful when talking about God's mission and our missions as a church is this. First is missional. This is the kind of living that we are all called to as Christian Christians. God makes the way for us through Jesus Christ and invites us to the calling that we were created for. We deny ourselves living for the glory of God through the exaltation of his word and we worship him through Jesus Christ and by the power of his Holy Spirit. So, Who should be missional? This should be all of us. This should be the church. Those who claim to follow Jesus Christ should all of us, this is what we should all be missional. Second definition I want to give you is missionary. This is the person that the church full of missional people sends out to be missional where there are no or very few Christians in the world. They go to be used by God to equip and build his church in that place. So, May I suggest this morning that we are all either living missional lives, helping to send missionaries who will be on the mission of God's glory in the nations, or we are the missionaries being sent out to the nations, being used by God to equip his church, which is making more missional people. Which one has God called you to be this morning? Just to... uh, put this in perspective, something that, that might be helpful for us as we consider God's call on our life is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judah, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Church, that power has come. It is available to us today. I just want to quickly mention some ministries that we support as a church, as we that we support through our giving when we take up these tithes and offerings. This is where a lot of this money is going, and I just want to briefly highlight some of the stuff that God is doing through these missions, and also to just inspire you to consider and to pray about where God would have you to be living missionally as well, or maybe even going out on mission. Harvest Kids is a huge opportunity. So we're just going to start with our Jerusalem first. Harvest Kids is a huge opportunity to reach the unreached and also to disciple the saved. If God is laying this ministry on your heart, don't leave without talking to Melissa this morning. There is not enough missional people serving in this ministry. And if we don't have more people serving in Harvest Kids, some of these other missions I'm about to talk about will be in vain. Our Judea. Okay, so somewhat close to home, but a little bit further, outside of these four walls of where we gather for church or in our homes where we gather for small group. 
Child Evangelism Fellowship, CEF, is a worldwide mission that is reaching many unchurched kids in Muskoka through their clubs and camps that many in this church are leading. From Port Sydney to Novar to back of beyond throughout the summer, there are amazing ministries reaching out to these kids. If you if your heart is being stirred towards this, I would encourage you to talk to David Guyette, our missionary with CEF, or leaders Bill and Kathy, Nancy and Donna Lee. And by the way, it was a CEF program in Ireland that God used to call Pastor Godfrey, who now leads our church plant in Perry Sound. Christine's Place is another uh, ministry. It's a light that is shining in a very dark arena. As peers, family, and our own government push the agenda of abortion, staff and volunteers are not forming picket lines or judging, but rather coming alongside young women and offering to walk with them through their pregnancies, offering counseling and support, even adoptions if it's necessary. They also grieve and mourn with those who have made the painful decision to abort. If God is stirring you towards this ministry, I'd encourage you to talk to, to Lana Clement-Hega and pray for this ministry and pray for Hope Pregnancy uh, Center in Perry Sound. Well, there's so many summer camps in Muskoka and there's no question that God has been at work through summer camps in Muskoka over the years. These camps rely on volunteers and maybe this summer God would place a burden and desire in your heart to serve in a kitchen or as a counselor at one of these camps. I just encourage you to reach out to Leanne Zolanko at Pioneer Camp or Jesse Landon at Camp Minioe or Josh and Beth Laverty at Camp Wajitawin. And they would love to plug you into what God is doing there. What an exciting summer that could be. We have Rugged Tree. Renee and Lisa Nyland are our missionaries amongst the Ojibwe First Nations in the Georgian Bay Area. They both left their careers as God filled them with a passionate desire to lift high the name of Jesus by serving the First Nations people there practically and spiritually. Pray for them. There are so many more ministries. There's the door in Huntsville with James Hunt. There's the table garden, which Chuck and Jose and Randy are all, are all working at trying to feed the hungry in our communities. Pray for those. Get involved in those ministries. Well, Samaria is not too far away either. We'll call Canada our Samaria. It's a big country, but we can get around easily enough. And that's why we're excited about the opportunity to reach out and serve the First Nations youth in Alberta this summer. This is a very unique opportunity for us as a church to partner with Heartland Church and its pastor, Pastor Donnie, in Alberta to the marginalized, oppressed, and unreached in Canada. These are certainly in those number of that two million unreached. And we are praying that God would raise up two amazing teams to go out from this church with Bruce and Lisa and Marshall. Pray about that. Pray that God would stir in the hearts those who would fill the positions on those teams. And to the ends of the earth, these are our missionaries around the world. We have Abner and Amy Hernandez serving the marginalized youth in Ecuador with Youth for Christ. They are involved in, in the trenches with local churches, equipping them to have vibrant youth ministries as they reach out to those who are struggling with, with drug and alcohol addictions, those who are, are poor, those in the big cities that are, are in the fringes that, that are not hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. So pray for Abner and Amy as they press on in this ministry. We have Friends in Action that builds infrastructure and allows Bible translators to get into some of the most remote and unreached places in the world in Papua New Guinea. We've sent the Brewbakers there multiple times, most recently for two years, and we will continue to partner with Friends in Action as their most 
recent uh, outreach into the prisons with Mike Butler has seen so many people come to Christ as they go into the filth and the stench of these prisons and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Many men are coming to know the Lord. They're leaving these prisons. And what was a revolving door, we're seeing them come to the Lord and not enter the prisons anymore. The police are begging this ministry to go into more prisons. Pray for this ministry with friends in action. Pray for Jay Brubaker as he continues to serve with them this side of the ocean. And as he goes out on short-term missions, and serves them with friends in action in Papua New Guinea. And of course, we have Omar, our missionary in Mexico City. As the grip of Catholicism fails, the evangelical church has a unique opportunity to share the gospel as millions are leaving a dead religion. What a privilege it is to proclaim the good news of grace and new life. Let's pray and be on our knees for Omar in the church plant in Mexico City. We believe that church planting is one of the most effective ways to embody the Great Commission, to reach those two billion unreached people on our planet. We want to send missionaries there to people who have not heard the good news of Jesus Christ, who have not responded to the gospel, for them to go and be a part of starting missional movements that help start and sustain churches. We will send missionaries to work in the trenches with these churches, and ultimately, the church as the bride of Christ, is the vehicle that God is calling to do that. That is you and me together, making disciples of all nations. It's a privilege for us as a church to give over 14% of our budget to church planting and missionaries outside of these four walls, outside of this church and our small groups. We're praying that God will give us a strong start in January 2020, that God will actually grow our budget that as we fast together for the mission he has called us to, and as the worship team comes up this morning, I'd like to ask that, that we consider this. If God has been stirring up a desire in you to be a missionary amongst the unreached people in the nations, or maybe he's just stirring you up to be missional in this community, equally as important, we would love to pray with you and discern with you and send you out as a church. We are praying that God would raise up from this church men and women who would go out in the power and the boldness of the Holy Spirit. The question this morning is, do you want to know him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for being with us this morning. Lord, we just pray, Lord, that you would empty us of ourselves. Lord, that you would fill us with more of you. Lord God, if you are stirring in people's hearts this morning, would you stir so strongly, Lord? Would you raise up men and women from this congregation to go out to the nations? And would you raise up men and women to live missional lives in this community? Lord, we thank you for how you have been working and how you are working. We thank you that the gates of hell will not prevail against this mission. So Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would come upon us this morning and that we would go out of this place in boldness. We pray these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.